Welcome to the Guernsey Press Arts Podcast, a podcast about the arts in Guernsey, produced by the press and presented by me, Simon Delarue. On this month's edition, we'll be hearing from John Bisson at St James about the ever-expanding roster of acts and events taking place there and about the challenges his team is still facing in the aftermath of the pandemic. As the Guernsey Literary Festival swings into action, we'll speak to Steering Committee member Nick LeMessurier about his involvement in the festival and some of the highlights of what we can look forward to. And we'll look into the art of podcasting, which is growing in popularity to such an extent that even I'm doing it. But fear not, I won't be interviewing myself. Instead, I'll be speaking to Jim Delbridge and Steve Foote, who front up the Prio Library podcast, which has racked up its first 1,000 downloads. Regular listeners will know that each month we've been speaking to Russ Fossey from Guernsey Arts about their long-term plan for the arts in Guernsey. This month we turn our attention to facilities and venues. So we met upstairs at St James, an increasingly popular venue for the live performance of poetry, music and theatre, as the guests of Executive Director John Bisson, who also joined us. And Russ began by outlining his perspective as Head of Arts Development. So as... as Part of the nine pillars of the plans for the arts, which is our strategic document, we recognise that for the arts to thrive in the islands, that facilities are really, really important. Um, and you might argue at the moment that um, Guernsey's art scene is thriving across a number of the disciplines, so everything is is good. Um, and actually, when I look at um, visual art, uh, exhibition space, for instance, we, we've been blessed over the last... Uh, year or so where we're seeing Art for Guernsey with their new gallery in Mill Street. There's another facility. Um, the National Trust with their exhibition space at Summary Park, the George Crossan space within the Inner Market, and of course our galleries uh, at Candy. Um, so the, the visual arts look like the facilities are coming online. Um, in terms of our performing arts and our venues, um, I think that's really, in terms of how we look at that, I think we look at that in really, really broadly. Where do we perform? Um, and we've got, I guess, key three large key venues, which would be uh, the Princess Royal Performing Arts Centre, um, Beausajour and St James, where we're here today. But also um, performances happen in castles, they 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 they're on cliff tops and they're on you know in open air venues like the seafront. So I think when we start to look at uh, facilities, um, we look at the the broadness of that and um, how are they working. I think our where where we are at the moment, you know, these aren't our these aren't our facilities, but I think we're looking at them and saying, um, what have we got? Um, how are they working? Um, how is it working for both the, those venues? How successful are they? What are their challenges? And also, what are the challenges for the artists or the organisations who may want to use those venues? And, you know, I, I would hope that when I look at this, I'm always looking for a win-win from, 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 from both those sides, um, but also an understanding from the venue and the organisers in terms of both their challenges in, 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 in having a venue or putting on an event, um, and a good understanding of that as a starting point and then all the things we can add in there to start to make um, these performances uh, easier but also to enhance the 
audience experience as much as possible. Um, so it's it's a pretty broad opening statement, I guess I've got there. Um, but I guess that the start, I, I, I'll come back to since we've released that that document, we've seen uh, two galleries open um, at the same time. Uh, we, we saw the performing arts with it with their uh, strategy document to develop uh, how they use that that space as efficiently and as productively as they can. And we've also seen John here at St. James, who's been developing the venue over the last two years. Actually, I would say totally in line with everything I've just said there. So uh, uh, two questions off the back of that then. Um, here we are in this uh, upstairs space at St. James um, in the, where the, we've got the cafe and a dedicated performance, performing arts um, uh, space here. Um, has Guernsey Arts been involved in the development of this? It's one of the principal developments in, of this ilk uh, on the island in the last few years. And will you be involved in any way in the future? Is this something you can do sort of, you know, promote and help uh, ensure that it uh, is a, a continuing to be successful? No, it would be wrong to say we've been involved in that. I think this is this is St James, Friends of St James project. They've they they run this building, but I think it's really important for our, from our perspective that we have really good dialogue with with all these organisations. And how and where do we support? Well, I guess we support sometimes with grants um, to bring over acts to support some of the younger projects uh, that John's got got um, developing here. So I think we support that way. And I think the other thing is is us having an understanding of what the challenges are. And I think if you roll that out, I was having a conversation just last week with uh, somebody trying to organise an event um, at another venue. And uh, I just basically, I just sat in on the conversation. And I was really buoyed by that conversation in terms of the venue organiser or the, the, the venue itself and the, 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 the people organising the event, how they were trying to come together to achieve that event um, where there's a win-win for both of those venues. You know, well, I can't afford that. Um, well, we need to cover our costs is the, is the, is the basic, you know, premise of, of that conversation. But working together to come together to say, right, this is the model that actually can make that project go ahead um, and there's a win-win for both sides. And I think those are the sorts of things initially we, we look to, to, to develop. I, I think also we thinking broader, and if you look at like our outdoor venues, um, and if I look at maybe the seafront, um, and there's lots of events that happen down there now. Um, but if you look at power, for instance, we're still using a lot of generators. Um, and that makes it sort of complex in terms of you have to hire a generator, you have to bring it down, there's noise involved, it's not green power. Um, you know, the idea of how can we um, support and facilitate um, ease of access uh, for um organizers to come down set up organize where there is power there simply you know that, that's another example of, 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 of a project we need to move forward with as well okay so uh john bisson here we are then uh, upstairs at st james there's a board behind you with a whole list of uh, events that uh, we can look forward to uh happening right here um can i ask you um what uh, brought you on the road to developing this particular space um, in the way that it's been developed and, and have you reached your end point have you sort of achieved your goals with this space so far I think that um, the journey St James has been on since I took over five years ago has been an interesting one recognition of the traditional market not existing anymore enough to support the venue recognising also a few um, business basics that I brought to the, 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 the from the coalface, which I think maybe they didn't understand about the size of population, 
isn't really big enough to support a venue of 500 people and that we need to play around with our venue sizes and and a bit of expectation management so as we've taken guernsey on a journey of introducing new new uh new uh, entertainment and comedy and contemporary music to the venue the first hurdle was getting over the preconception of st james and what it was about to get people to come here even being asked when we had bands playing would it be fully seated and things like this just getting the message over um now that we've we've done the development here the diary room downstairs the hall's fully equipped they're all fully equipped now pa lights everything's in them um we, we're coming off the back of COVID in, in effectively a hospitality crisis. So got, the current figure is 32 hospitality venues closing a day in the UK. Um, we're seeing audience levels around 50, 60% of what was pre-COVID. The inflation, interest rates, everything's having an impact. And so, again, we look at St. James and go, well, how can we survive this storm and move forward? And the way to do this is we've is to look more holistically at the artistic scene on the island. We, we've, we've got our, our pitch, which is original content, performance content. And, and we work closely with the Performing Arts Centre and they've, they've got their theatrical direction and, and the guys at Beausejour and we don't tread on each other's toes and we try and work together to try and provide a nice wide range of facilities, but that still won't pay the bills it takes to do here. So the next step, is looking towards the youth, looking towards how we develop our partner charity Sound, which is the under 18 live music charity that's been running a while, and taking space that we have within St. James and making it more dynamic for them. Because we, we're we not gonna suddenly have another 50% of an audience reappear. We need to take a bunch of 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds, get them used to the visceral experience of live music, of the sharing that with your friends, of producing music, and they'll be the ones who move upstairs into the hall. I mean, we already, do super discounted tickets for all under 18s anyway, for all our events. So we do get good take up and we run the sound events and we've got a new studio, we're just about finished downstairs. So it's the constant shifting planes in <laughs> you know, 2019, which I thought was quite a, a tough year because we threw a lot of events on to see what would work, really was great compared to what came following <laughs> so understanding the short term you've you've uh, been in receipt recently of a charitable uh, donation that is going to help you along the way in the long term are you confident that you've got things in place that are going to sort of keep you afloat no um i mean the the, the raw truth was last year we realized we could see the figures we're part of music venue trust and independent venue week organizations we knew what was going to happen um we knew interest rates were rising um we prepared, we went out, um, we did a lot of work. Um, we got a grant from Community Foundation, we got a grant from Social Investment Fund. We underwrote our events with the Guernsey Arts, um, came in and supported the events along with a couple of other sponsors and the Ramplin Trust helped us with some capital expense. But what we've done is put in place grants for two years and this is allowed, going to allow us to see where we sit in the food chain. You know, where does St. James fit into the community? Are we just a venue? Are we um, more of a community space? Are we, and that will then look, let us look towards where that funding comes from. I mean, right now, the building takes 300,000 a year to, to, to keep it running. That's with four staff, not seven, what we had in 2019, only four of us. Every night and weekend that the crew are here opening up, they do it voluntarily. I think people don't understand. We get paid 37 hours. That's all used up in the week. Every night we open up from a symphony orchestra, a choir, a, a band, we do it off our own backs. And and that's unsustainable in the super long term. And and so what we've got to do is say, what would attract a bit of inward investment? You know, we get we get 60K off the state. We need, it should be more. 
because of the people, the 45 charities that get subsidized access, the free practice room space that we give people um, and everything else that we do um, for these other people. We do it and, it and we're providing that great resource. So if 40,000 people isn't worth a little bit more push in. So I'm rather hoping that we can clear their minds with the youth component that, that, that we've worked. My wife and I launched Sound seven years ago. We've developed it on. Um, we've had some great nights recently, 120, 130, under 18 year olds in the room listening to bands made up of under 18 year olds. This is, this is great. This is the future. So to give them a dedicated space, it's all equipped. Sound came with lots of instruments and we've been really generously supported over the years by Guernsey Arts and by other donors. And now we have our own studio. And when the tapestry finds its new home, we'll have our own performance space downstairs. And that will provide the people who will come up here in the future. So they'll take their first steps up and perform on this little stage in the cafe to their friends. And then when they're right, then we'll take them over and put them in the hall and give them a big space to, record, to, to perform. So um, that's really exciting. But we've got two years to do it. <laughs> yeah, so you're painting a picture really of this being effectively a sort of nursery for the arts. And, and, the, and you're arguing the case that really um, this is not a space that should be required by this community to wash its face financially. But they, it, you, you really should be backed a bit more because of what you provide to the community. I don't think, I don't think you can, it can wash its face. No. I think if you went to a, business, a bank manager and said, I've got a 500 capacity venue, multi-room venue, um, and a population of 64,000 people, 9,000 in education, 20,000 over 75 years old. To fill our venue for a multi-room venue, we need 20,000, we need 2% we need, um, of the population. We, you know, we, the, the numbers don't stack up. But that doesn't mean that we're not completely full all the time. You know, we had Salsa and Baquetta on Tuesday. We had um, uh, Unplugged Club and a piano recital here. Last, last night, we've got Guido Spinucci from London here on Friday. We've got an under-18 acoustics night here on Saturday. You know, it's, and this is people coming to us and going, oh, we'd like to do this. We can't really do this. We want to do this. It's sort of, and then all the, all the orchestras and the, who've been coming here 30 years, they can't afford the rate card. So we do a, what's called a shared outcome, which means from the first ticket sold, we split 50-50. And it means that sometimes we might only get four or 500 pounds, which it costs to open the hall for an evening is 1200 pounds. That's staff billing, you know, that's what it costs. Our, our, our board calculated the cost of opening. And so we sweat that. But where else are you gonna get 60 artists on a stage in an acoustically sound environment and let them perform and do what they love? I think we're, I think we're more, I think 50% of what we do is for the audience, and but 50% of what we do is for the, for the, this remarkable artistic community we have on the island who are just motivated and want something to do all the time. Uh, on a personal note, John, um, of all the things that you have here at this venue for the remainder of the uh, the calendar year, what gets your heart racing the most? What are you most looking forward to? Oh, I think it's well known. I'm, 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 contemporary music is, is, is my long passion, 30 years of just running festivals and music. And I just love discovering new music. I'm, I'm, I'm just anything that comes along that and we've got great agents in the uk who tip us off and say do this do that check these guys out so we things like penelope isles and plastic mermaids and stuff that's come we just walk away at the end and go bloody I mean, that was amazing you know or 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 greg's new bookings guido spinucci and 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 miley manzanza who'd have thought that a, a jazz drummer would be so i mean that when you watch a performance and their time goes like that and you go, but I want more. And it's been 90 minutes or two hours and you're screaming for more. 
Okay, that, then we're doing our job. Then that reminds me why <laughs> I got four weekends off last week, last year, you know, and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting listening to John and, you know, he h- highlights the challenge of of uh, running this brilliant venue and, and asset we've got in, in Guernsey. And, and he's really developed this over the years. The St. James team has really developed this this St. James. Um, and but I, and it, he's, he's right. We need we, we meet, needs more government support. The private sector are great. Um, there's a load of grants coming to support James, St. James over the short term. But I think there's a, another side to this, which is this is a tremendous asset, as are the other venues. And I think um, it's a call out to local audiences, I think, in terms of there is some great stuff happening across our venues in Guernsey. And I would challenge people who perhaps haven't been to see a play or come to see a jazz band um, to maybe start trialling that out, buying tickets and seeing what fantastic offer we have on the island here because John's right we need to increase the audience to make these venues work to be successful to feed the the artistic community and continue to develop which I will still say I think we're in a really good place at the moment challenging place but actually John is providing a place for so much talent that that's here on the island and that's the same for all the venues so I think it's 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 um we're all in this together I guess is what I'm trying to say so please support the arts Guernsey Arts Head of Arts Development, Russ Fossey there, and you also heard from the Executive Director at St James, John Bisson. And looking at the current diary for St James, the next swallow recital in the main hall is a horn trio featuring Ben Goldscheider on horn, Callum Smart on violin and Richard Utley on piano. They'll be playing music by Mozart, by Ethel Smith, by Clara Schumann and by Brahms. That's on Wednesday the 24th of May before the Guernsey Choral and Orchestral Society's 75th anniversary concert on the Saturday at which they'll be performing Carmina Burana. That's on May the 27th. Tickets for all of those are available via stjames.gg or by phoning the box office on 711361. The Guernsey Literary Festival is up and running with an enormous array of events taking place between now and Sunday week. Steering Committee member Nick LeMessurier popped in to talk to us about it. He's one of many volunteers helping to put on the 65 events, including in schools and care homes and in the prison. Alongside the festival's two big competitions, the Guernsey International Poetry Competition and Write Stuff, which is open to local school children. It's a huge amount of work for the team to undertake, so I started by asking Nick how he got involved. Well, it started um, soon after the festival started, um, which was uh, 10 years ago. Um, and I volunteered to do just a bit of helping out. I mean, I was always interested, obviously, in books. Um, and I did some stewarding. Uh, and then I started writing some press releases. And then about five years ago, um, I started seriously. It went on to the committee. And it really all took off from there. You say, um, obviously, always interested in books. I mean, everybody reads books from time to time, some more than others. What, what do you uh, find is the draw that keeps you going, seeking out more and more literature? Uh, I've, I've always been interested in books. I've always been interested in writing. Uh, I did a degree in English um, many, many years ago. Uh, and actually, my desire to read increases as I get older, not decreases. 
and also I find that um, my interests broaden as well. So in the past, I would have gone just entirely for fiction because that was my first love. But now, uh, through the festival, I've started getting, in, uh, getting interested in all sorts of things. So what in particular? What are you reading at the moment, may I ask? At the moment, actually, I'm reading a book by uh, one of our guests, um, Henry Dimbleby. Um, now, Henry Dimbleby is the son of David Dimbleby, and he's written a book called Ravenous, and he, it's about the scandal of the food system in the UK today. Uh, and he's coming on Wednesday. Uh, sadly, he's he's um, been sold out. So, um, But... Uh, the the politics of food has interested me uh, and the practical side of eating better has interested me and it's something that interested him has interested him for a long time in fact he's um, uh, prepared a special report for boris johnson's government on it sadly most of the recommendations weren't taken up was ever thus um you said that that one had sold out how have ticket sales gone for this festival Um, good and i think that you know in the early days when um my involvement started um we've got a must pay tribute to our festival director claire allen um who's actually a brilliant leader but since really at first tickets used to sell quite slowly in the guernsey way as we used to call it people used to say oh is it the festival and then they turn up at the last minute but uh, nowadays tickets sell well from the stuff from when they're launched um, they've gone well this year as well um, quite a few of our events big events have sold out um, uh, and some of the smaller events what ha- tends to happen simon is that People get attracted to the big events and they hear about the smaller events and and those tend to fill up a bit later as well. There are certain um, things in the Channel Island calendar that get a reputation for for quick ticket sales. And once that is established, then uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? I'm thinking of the Sark Folk Festival, for example, that used to sell out in in absolutely no time. So you're reaching that sort of position with your headline acts, aren't you? Um, We are, actually. Yes, we are. So... uh, so the headline acts now, some of them will be sold out to members because members have priority booking um, and they'll be sold out in that week. Um, most aren't though, most aren't. But some of our uh, events will be, sell- will be selling still um, until the minute that they start. And uh, so among our listeners will be uh, some who haven't managed to get a ticket yet for anything. Are there any that haven't sold out that you'd particularly recommend that are coming up over the next few days? Yeah, there are quite a few, actually. Um, If you want a big, you know, if people want to go to a big star, um, we've got um, Susie Dent from from television. Now, she's at St. James. Um, She... Her tickets have sold really well for her um, event, but there are a few left. And the same with Dan Walker as well, one of the nicest people on television. Now, Dan Walker, um, his tickets for him, there still are some available. Not many, but there still are. Um, so that's uh, Susie Dent. Is the, the, she's the woman from the Dictionary Corner in Countdown, yeah. isn't she? And Dan Walker is presenter of Football Focus. Yes. Um, but so, what what is he bringing uh, for this? Right. Well, he's he's written a book about the unsung heroes. So it's a it's a book about the people that we don't hear about that he finds have been heroic. So um, it could be someone who's coped with a terrible disease or 
or helped somebody out in, in, ex, in extreme situations and really has been forgotten or not known about. And I think that um, Dan believes that these people, these great heroes are all around us, but we just don't think of them. You know, sometimes we hero worship people like footballers or, or entertainers or um, God forbid um, uh, celebrities. But um, but very often the people we should be celebrating aren't, and he's he's interviewed a lot of these people and he's going to talk about them. Right. Okay. And uh, Susie Dent, does she uh, sort of bring us the magic of uh, yeah. specific sort of uh, words? I follow her on Twitter, so I'm aware that you yeah. know she's often putting some fascinating words out there that have sort of gone under yeah. the radar in recent uh, centuries. Yeah. I mean, words all sorts of new words that she's rediscovered. Don't ask me to remember any of them, Simon. But all sorts of new words. And um, in many cases, they're words that that uh, when she when you use them, when she uses them, you can see why they represent the things that they represent. You know, they're onomatopoeic. Um, it's fascinating. She's a fascinating person. Uh, also a very good speaker. So, um, you know, any anybody who wants to go to her could still got a chance to see her. That's a very sort of word nerdism kind of item for a Guernsey Literary Festival. It uh, seems perfect, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Um, so is there anything specifically that you're looking forward to um, that uh, you, that still has a few tickets left as well? Yeah, I'd say that the the one thing that you find with the festival is that obviously the big names will sell well because everybody knows who they are. But with a festival like this, um, and especially ours, uh, Often the most, well, some of the most interesting talks are people by people you've never heard of before, people who really know their subjects. Um, one that I'm particularly interested in is, um, well, I'm interested in fiction, um, first and foremost. And we've got uh, two or three new writers, debut writers. That sounds like they haven't written before. They have. They've been writing things for years. But uh, new novelists, Georgina Moore, Liz Hyder and Abigail Burdess, and uh, their new works are full of mystery uh, and the gothic, plenty of gothic in there, uh, a fair bit of uh, family histories, dysfunctional families, uh, a fair bit of women's empowerment. If you're interested in any of those, I would go and see those writers. They're also, all three of them, are really good speakers. So that's Abigail Burdess, uh, Georgina Moore and Liz Hyder. Um, so that's uh, that's in the uh, area of fiction. Um, anything, any other particular highlights sort of outside of that? Yeah, I, can I just mention? Well, the first thing is there are a lot of family events, and there's still tickets for those. Um, I'd also like to mention history. Um, Sunday is a bit of a history day, uh, and um, we've got uh, Peter Conradi who's talking about Russia and really the history that's led up to the invasion of Ukraine. Um, so that's interesting. It takes it right back to the fall of the, the old Soviet Union. We've also got a very interesting historian called Anthony Selden, who's written a book called The Path of Peace. Um, after his wife died, he, he's a historian. He's written biographies of, I think, every prime minister since the war. Um, actually, he's just written one about Boris Johnson. I think he mentions that he's the worst prime minister in the history of <laughs> in the history of the UK. Anyway, um, Anthony has um, decided to uh, walk uh, the long walk from the Swiss border 
to the Channel Coast following the line of the Western Front in World War One, and it's really, uh, it's a, it's almost like a memoir, a thought about life, as well as about history, and that's going to be a really interesting talk as well. So that's Sunday the 14th of May. Uh, so if anybody wants tickets for that um, and all the other things that are still available in the festival, where can they go to? Guernsey, the, the, our website is guernseyliteraryfestival.com. Guernsey Literary Festival Steering Committee member Nick Lemessurier there. Now then, I might be a bit biased here, but I think it's fair to say that one of the significant changes to the media landscape in the past decade has been the growth in the popularity of listening to, and indeed making, podcasts. Guernsey Life and Times is now on to its sixth episode and has just racked up 1,000 downloads. It's the official podcast of the Prio Library and is fronted by the well-known local broadcaster and musician Jim Delbridge and by the library's chief executive, Steve Foote. I asked Steve why they'd chosen to adopt the medium of podcasting. Well, we were looking for ways in which to raise the profile of the library. I was surprised when I started there, the number of people who said to me that they'd never been in through the door or that they thought you needed to make an appointment to go. And and so we were looking for ways to raise the profile, make um, the library more accessible and um, and increase the people's awareness of what they could find when they walked in. So, um, and almost, you know, coincidentally at the same time, Jim approached me and said oh, I'd really like to do a podcast and I thought you know that would be that could be a, a great way of raising the profile um, amongst a number of other things we're doing but you know this this has been really has been the flagship. So and this is a sort of a niche subject matter that you've brought in a, a podcast for and uh, we one could argue that um, the, the demographic of those who we associate with the main use of Pro Library is is not overlap hugely with podcast listeners necessarily. I don't know. You 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 might have a thought on that. Um, but you've hit a thousand downloads now. So congratulations on that. Um, uh, where next with the uh, podcasting? Are you going to sort of you know expand, do more more frequent, or, or what are your plans? Um, I th- I think. Well, thank you for that. Um, but uh, I think we're not targeting the usual demographic, and that you know and that is um, a deliberate. Uh, thing we want to raise the profile of the library to people who haven't come in, not to reinforce the uh, the message to people who know all about the library and visit regularly. So I think that's the that's the key thing. And you know, um, and I think there is a lot of interest of people in the island's history and the heritage. I mean, you look at some of the Facebook groups like Guernsey Days Gone By, you know, that's not your typical demographic of, of, um, of you know, the regular visitors to the Prio Library either. So we, that's, that's part of what we want to do. Um, in terms of frequency, I think, we, you know, we think monthly is about right, isn't it? Um, we have been fine-tuning it. There were a few gaps over uh, over Christmas and and while we were doing it other various projects but I think we've got we're getting into a rhythm now of doing it monthly and that's about right and you've got the safest pair of hands possible in the, in the form of uh, Jim Delbridge presenting this uh, for you obviously extremely uh, well experienced in in uh, local radio here in Guernsey uh, Jim how do you uh, approach podcasting uh, compared to how you approach radio I do well that's, that's a good question um it, I don't think there's a huge amount of difference, actually, because the, the production values that I brought with me into this project come from 
like you, Simon, working at the BBC for many years and, and in commercial radio as well. So obviously I was trained in how to make proper radio programs. And when you then uh, start making podcasts, I, I wasn't going to lose the same or um, those production values. So I came in with the attitude of trying to make it as if it was something I would like to listen to on, well, Radio 4, something like that. You know, that's the standard you want to aim at, isn't it? Is to go for that. So, I mean, whether we've achieved that or not is another matter. But, but I, that's what I, I wanted to do. And, but I think the secret that we have probably yet to, yet to succeed in is to come up with some more populist subject matter. Um, I think um, if we're going to attract more people into the library... I think we need to um, explain that history isn't just about stuffy old subjects um, you know, w which people have very little interest in, but it could be, and Steve and I have spoken about this, we're, we're planning to do something on the Beatles, of course the Beatles visit soon, it might be we do something on, on the history of autocross in the islands, but more populous things which people can relate to, because history isn't boring, history is fascinating, and it's, you know, uh, uh, and I, I love it, and, that, and that's why I suggested doing it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely, and I think also to dispel the myth that the the Prio Library has just got books in it. You know, we've got a fantastic selection of old maps, old photographs, um, newspapers, um, many of which you can't see anywhere else. And, you know, we, whilst we do try and showcase those through things like exhibitions and, and other things, you know, the podcast is one of the ways in which we can, we can do that as well. It, it, in a way, it seems like the sort of the democratisation of radio in the sense that, you know, time was a, an institution such as yours would have had to go down to one of the two main radio stations on the island, seek a bit of airtime. Um, now you're in the position where you just do it yourselves and, OK, you don't have the instant reach to a large number of people, um, but you, you are entirely in control of uh, what you're saying. And, of course, you, you've got an infinite amount of time to use up if you like. I mean, is, 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 those are big advantages for you, aren't they, Jim? Yeah, they are. And it is, I mean, you say infinite amount of time, but it's also an infinite amount of subject matter as well, really. I mean, when we first started talking about it, Steve and I, we just had a huge list. Oh, yes, let's do that. Oh, we could speak to so-and-so about that. Yes, that's brilliant. And that then knocks on to another subject. And, and why not? I mean, the Guernsey is a fascinating place. Um, we've all grown up here and there's a lot of people over here who want to know more about it and, and do look back at the past. We've just got to give them interesting subject matter which they can get their teeth into. And in terms of the uh, production, um, you know, obviously with your radio background, it, it, what, uh, are your decisions the same in terms of kind of the use of music in the uh, how you how you structure um, a podcast? How, how do you approach that element of it? That element of it is um, uh, we we try and use, because we don't have a budget for this. We're not being I'm not being paid to do it. There is no budget, so we're doing it as uh, as inexpensively as as possible. So the music is is copyright free. Um, and that's one of that's the main starting point from the music side of things. I was and, and so where do you go for that then? Is there just there sites on online where you can go and get copy copyright free music? Yeah. yeah. And um, my good friend Carl Ward was very from Island FM was very kind to make some jingles for me, which he did. Um, he's very very good at doing that kind of stuff. So it's just calling in friends, um, just looking in the right places, keeping the cost really down because it doesn't cost us anything, Steve, to do, does it? So that's uh, the, that. That's the idea, and um, and hopefully, we've, we've well we've hit a thousand listeners now, and hopefully, with the likes of you know what we're doing here today with you, we can just create more of an awareness for it, and we can try and hit two thousand. That's what we want to do next. 
And uh, Steve, I want to ask you, with this being an arts podcast, um, you have at the library recently opened yourself up for a, uh, a night of uh, musical entertainment and not so long ago. Um, is there anything more lined up at the library in terms of sort of opening up as a sort of arts venue and arts space? Um, I'd love to make that a more regular event. We are looking at what the what the next one might be, um, but we haven't um, we haven't got anything fixed in the schedule yet. Um, I think one of the things is that we realise the amount of effort that putting on something like that um, requires is um, is quite significant. And um, but you know everyone really enjoyed it, and we had some fantastic feedback, and we, we'd love to do it again. One of the reasons why we branded it Prio After Dark is that you know that we can then apply that to other times of the year other occasions and you know other opportunities so yeah watch this space Prio Library Chief Executive Steve Foote there and you can find the Guernsey Life and Times podcast right now on your chosen podcast feed That's all for this edition of the Guernsey Press Arts Podcast. If you have a project you think we should be shouting about, please get in touch. My email is sdelaru at guernseypress.com. Goodbye for now.